Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. To make sure that he's okay, that he has pulled his life together, that he can successfully guard against the shame of falling short that he can rest assured he has finally done whatever there is to be done to accomplish and secure the life that he has committed to creating for himself. Arranging as he's done his whole life, as he has been taught to do at every stage of his life, arranging his comfort and his security. What do I do? Matthew's version puts it even a little more bluntly. Teacher, What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Give me that last bit. And as we're reading Mark, we see that there's actually a theme growing here of multiple times and places where people are trying to put their best face forward, are trying to make sure they have secured for themselves the life that they're grasping after. We've read all of these scriptures over the past few weeks. You remember on the road to Capernaum, we have the crass schoolyard version where the disciples are arguing over who would be greatest in the kingdom of God. Finding security by just being on top of the pile, whatever the pile is. And Jesus says, so what were you guys talking about? And they go, mom, embarrassed. Then we have a sophisticated version of this. The kind that finds security in being right, in being correct, having the right answer or the right social position or exactly the right theology. You remember the story where John proudly told Jesus how they had taken care of those people who were casting out demons in Jesus' name, but they weren't part of our group. They weren't the right ones. We're the right ones. Right, Jesus? Then last week we read how the throngs were bringing the children to Jesus. The disciples rebuked them because this is not the way the power structures work. They were breaking the rules. Those who have lived a long life well and have amassed power and have resources, they're the ones who get to be close to the teacher. This is how we organize our life. This is how we put on our fig leaves. This is how the world works. And I may never quite get there, but at least I know what I have to do to get there. And I can live in the illusion that somehow, some way, if I just amass enough energy and enough intellect, enough power, I can finally maybe get there. And Jesus said, (laughs) actually, unless you come like a child, Unless you come like a child, you'll never actually enter the kingdom. And this blew them away because it tore down all the structures and presuppositions of how the world worked for them. And so what I'm suggesting today is that Mark is giving us yet one more example in this long line of people trying to figure out how to overcome their inadequacy, how to double down on this long human project of securing their life on their own. What we humans have been doing since Eden. And now with the young rich man, we have the religious version. 
And this fellow has just about made it to the Holy Grail. He has almost secured this life. What one final thing do I need to do, Jesus? Apparently, he encountered in Jesus that there was something that was missing, and he assumed that he could get this one bit of knowledge from Jesus, whatever it was that Jesus seemed to have that he was lacking, that he hadn't conquered yet. And if Jesus would just tell him, he would do it. And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Of course he did. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the rich young man, I think, along with all the disciples who were listening at this point, sighed with deep relief. See, when we hear this, we think, oh, this is really heavy. For these people, like, this is what they want. They want something to do. Oh, okay. Finally. Great. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we know what we have to do to get to the kingdom. Oh, of course. The rich man said, I've kept all of these since I was a kid. Really? Completely? Since you were a kid? You have to give it to this fellow if nothing else. He is self-confident. <laughs> and how does Jesus respond? If we don't pause at this moment and hear and see and feel and allow it to enter into our soul, Jesus' response, we will not understand this story and we will not understand Jesus. The scripture says that Jesus looked to this self-assured, kind of punk of a guy, it kind of seems like to me. The guy who's think he's done it all. The guy who's there to use Jesus. And the scripture says that Jesus looked at him with love. Jesus looked at this floundering man who to everyone else looked like he absolutely had it together, but Jesus knew the truth. This man had absolutely nothing together. And Jesus looked at him with love fully aware of the immense, weighty, heavy construct this man was living under. The delusions, the grandiosity, the pressure. All of the fear and shame that this man was keeping at bay. And everyone thought he was the pinnacle. And he was just as lost as everyone else. The scripture says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. There was a way out. He could surrender the lie. There was a way forward, but it was going to be painful. It was going to hurt. There's one thing you lack, Jesus says. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then your treasure will be in heaven and follow me. The life you want, follow me. And the scripture says the young rich man's face fell. 
Do you see that happening? Do you see him hearing these words from the one he loves? And do you see his face falling? Do you see everything sort of beginning to crumble? He was terrified. This would mean the ruin of all of his plans and securities. This would mean all of the ways he'd seen the world were going to be absolutely useless to him anymore. Everything that he had constructed, everything that he had done to make sure that he was going to be okay was going to fall apart. He would be exposed. And the scripture says that he went away. He went away. Because he had so much. He went away because he had to cling to this thing that was going to give him his meaning and his life. And he could not trust that the one who was standing in front of him offering him another way, he couldn't trust Jesus. In the Gospels, we find Jesus meeting different people and numerous stories, and his words to them of what it would mean for them to follow him is as unique as the people he meets. He doesn't say to everyone, sell everything you have and go to the poor and give it to the poor. He tells that to the people who need to hear that. But it is almost always some version of this story where you're going to have to surrender whatever it is you're clinging to. It's keeping you from receiving the invitation to abandon our life and follow Jesus, who is life. This is not a test to prove anything to God. Jesus is not sitting here saying, I got a test and some hoops you have to jump through. Like Adam and Eve, if we believe that we find life anywhere other than God, then we will pursue that thing until we are empty and withered and a shell of a human. And Jesus looks at us, and Jesus loves us. And Jesus doesn't want our life to be withered and a shell of being human. Jesus came so that we would have life. But the reality is that following Jesus And embracing life early on feels like death. Because it means we have to give up the way that we are constructing our life to work on our own and trust and surrender that the God of the universe actually has God's heart turned toward us and inviting us into something new. Our rule of life talks about money. We'll be preparing for our rule of life soon. I think I've told you a number of times, it's just so true. I used, my earliest, my first decade probably as a pastor, I hated talking about money. I hated it. The reason why I hated it is because I was always working off of other people's assumptions about what I meant. And, you know, there's no worse criticism a pastor hears probably then besides your sermons are way too long and boring but the other one is all you care about is money and I I didn't want to be someone who people thought all I cared about was money and so I just avoided it and then I kept reading my bible and I kept living in the culture of consumption that I am drowning in 
And now Jesus' words about money are life. Because I don't have to live by the story that the world is telling me. And that's true about absolutely every area of our life. Whenever we talk about following Jesus, whatever it is that makes you most nervous, there's probably something there that is an invitation from Jesus to just surrender and let it go. I think that what Jesus was doing was essentially trying in a really kind and generous way to starkly put the issue before the young rich man so he could see what the choice would be between life and death. Between trying to live out this illusion that he could actually accomplish this life versus trusting God. And it wasn't only the young rich man who walked away going, oh, this is, this is horrible, this is terrifying. The disciples get Jesus afterwards and they say, what are you talking about? In the world they lived, those who had the most power and wealth, those who looked the best, those were the ones who were closest to God. That was the way the world worked. And they may not, may not have exactly been in on it, but they knew what the rules were. They knew how to get it, if they could just do it. And Jesus was blowing all of that apart. And they say, well, who then? If this guy can't be in the kingdom, who? And Jesus said, oh, with you, nobody. <laughs> You are totally screwed. That's in the Greek. <laughs> but Jesus said, with you, it's absolutely impossible. You got the point. But I love you. And with me, everything is possible. I've read this poem to you before, but I want to close with it today. called Tripping Over Joy by Hafiz, a 12th century Persian poet. What is the difference between your experience of existence and that of a saint? What is the difference between your experience of existence and that of a saint? The saint knows that the spiritual path is a sublime chess game with God and that the beloved has just made such a fantastic move. And that the beloved has just made such a fantastic move. That the saint is now continually tripping over joy and bursting out in laughter and saying, I surrender. The saint is now continually tripping over joy and bursting out in laughter and saying, I surrender. Whereas, my dear, I am afraid you still think you have a thousand serious moves. Whereas, my dear, I am afraid you still think you have a thousand serious moves. We don't. We don't have any serious moves. We have moves, they're illusions. When Jesus says, come and die and follow me, we cannot pretend that he doesn't mean what he says. It is a death. It is a destruction. It is a death and destruction of every illusion, 
every pretension, every assumption that we make. But, but the offer that Jesus says is, if you will trust me and just surrender, I promise you, there is life here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.